Welcome to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast with your host, Greg Shepard. Greg is a fee-only financial advisor who specializes in helping those in higher education to take control of their retirement. Since 2001, Greg has helped employees all over the country make the most of their retirement plans. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in today. I tell you what, today I've got a rather special podcast for everyone out there. We're going to stray away from the norm just a little bit. Right now, as I record this, actually in my basement, we're going through the coronavirus pandemic and everybody is working at their house for the most part. And we're experiencing the most volatile stock market in, in history. May not be the most volatile, at least statistically wise. Um, I'd say the most volatile in my lifetime, at, at least. We actually just went through, if not the worst, certainly one of the worst stock market quarters in modern history. So today, I'd like to share with you how to intelligently get through this volatility and try to attempt to remove emotions from your investment decision making. I'm going to share with you the same information I'm telling my clients and things that I'm doing for myself as well. So in this podcast, I'm going to discuss the historical pattern of a typical bear market and how to implement some investing strategies in your higher education retirement plan, your university retirement plan. Okay, so what is a bear market and where are we in that cycle? Now, bear markets, given historical trends, typically go through four phases. Now, before I explain that, a bear market by definition, is when the market goes from its peak, it goes down, it drops 20%. Okay, we flew through that a little while ago. We actually went through the most aggressive or quickest bear market in history. And by recollection, I think the, we'll call it the second place bear market, took 42 days. And that may have been in 2008. I may be incorrect there. This bear market took, I think, 30 days or less. Okay, so it wasn't even close. This was the quickest, most aggressive, violent, dramatic, whatever adjective you want to use, bear market in history. Okay, so now back to the four phases. And by the way, this isn't really a definition, the four phases of a bear market. This is my interpretation. So the first one, panic, panic, panic. You get panic selling based on what fear or uncertainty. Uncertainty brings that fear. Fear brings the panic selling. So you go through that phase. That's phase one. Phase two. Typically, you get a retracement of, of around 50%. So what that means is the market, let's just make this up here. Let's say the market goes down uh, 40% okay, during phase one. Then typically, you'll get some sort of bounce back, violent bounce back, of around 20%. It won't be exact, but that'd be a 50% retracement. Okay. Then phase three sets in, and then the fundamental news, all these economic news starts trickling in. So the, the, the fear-based selling is done, and now we've bounced back, and then you have to deal with all the economic ramifications of what we're going through. Okay, unemployment starts coming out. GDP numbers start coming out. And then you get that new down leg to test the original low. So typically the markets will, will retract or go down to some version of that first low that was set in through phase one or the panic selling. Then the fourth phase, capitulation sets in. Capitulation, one of my favorite words. It's just a fancy word, which I, it took me probably a year to figure out what that word meant. A fancy word for uh, surrender. Let's, let's, let's use the word surrender. So throwing the towel in. So surrender sets in and some sort of 
bottom is set. That's when the real bottom is established, and that's the fourth phase. Depending upon where you are economically, that's when things tend to turn around and do very well from there. Now, I believe the markets, well, I know the markets have already gone through phase one, and I think we've entered phase two. I believe we're done with phase two and going through phase three, to be honest. During phase one, the masses sell on the sky is falling, quote-unquote here, the sky is falling mentality. And there's going to be some out there that during this phase, they're, they, they tend to be bullish during this phase. And they see this decline as a buying opportunity, and they'll get burned by it because the market will go down by, let's say, 10%. And they think, oh, this is a correction, good time to buy. Well, then the market goes down another 10 20%, and they get burned by that. So there's some people out there that will do that during this phase. However, most people will be selling just based on emotions, no real rational reasons, but based on fear, well, again, uncertainty, which brings fear, make them sell their investments. Now, as of March 31st, we have seen the market retract from those original lows and bounce up about 50%, you know, thereabouts. What's interesting about this bounce up is that the majority of that upswing occurred in only three trading days. And this was maybe a couple weeks ago. I believe it was the most dramatic, biggest percentage in points three-day swing in market history. That is phase two. Now, of course, history, as you've heard this a number of times, history is no indication of what the future holds. And no bear markets, no two bear markets are identical. But we have yet to confront that economic data, or we're just starting to confront that economic data due to this virus and the slowdown economically. This economic data will trickle out during the second quarter. And as we all are aware of, it's going to be pretty ugly. We've actually already seen some unemployment numbers come out. And oddly enough, the markets uh, shot up during one of those employment numbers. We went through the first weekly unemployment numbers, and that market shot up. I told people... Even data that comes out, even if we don't, even if it's bad, at least it's data that we know. Okay, we need to know data economically. And even though that unemployment data was terrible, it was actually a little better than what some of the worst projections were going to be. And the market retract. Uh, I'm sorry, the market reacted positively. So that's a great example of how you cannot time or predict the market. And most people would think. Man, when those unemployment numbers come out, the market's just going to sell off. And the opposite happened. I think it went up 1,000 points or something based on the first unemployment numbers that came out. Now, generally speaking, based on historical patterns, we see that once the market addresses all of the fundamental news that will undoubtedly unfold, the market will begin that second downward trend to test the original lows that we saw previously. That will be phase three. Now, when this occurs, it's going to bring in a whole host of new sellers and those that, quote-unquote, throw in the towel. Historically, this is where some sort of bottom is set. That's when reallocation should be implemented, well, prior to that, and then just basically hold tight and wait. Now, of course, what I just talked about is more of a generalized outline just based on history, and these things never take place in an exact linear fashion. However, we do think that it provides somewhat of a rough framework of what to expect going forward during this uncertain time. Now, in my opinion, you should be reallocating during this market cycle. And my goal, at least with my clients and personally with myself as well, is to have everything reallocated and positioned the way I want going into, let's say, 
certainly by the third quarter. So my goal is the second quarter of 2020 to get everything reallocated slowly, 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 slowly. And I'm talking about the bond market and the stock market. There are things that have happened, even in the bond side of things, that I want to take advantage of. You know, the U.S. government came in and bought some corporate debt, a lot of corporate debt, not that long ago. So you need to take advantage of that. Now, what I need to mention here is that there are two huge caveats or, or variables that we just haven't seen in the past that could or will disrupt a quote-unquote normal bear market. That is the current pandemic that we find ourselves in currently and the amount of financial stimulus that has been and will be injected into our economy. But folks, I tell you what, don't let anybody fool you. There's no amount of financial stimulus that will or can turn this economy around until we get back to work, until we start spending that money. Does It does me, it does you, it does nobody any good if we receive you know, $1,200 or whatever the case is from the government if we can't leave our house, okay, we can't get out there and abouts in the economy, and these companies can't produce goods or services that we spend our money on. This economy has to get going again. The economy won't get going again unless we can leave our house, houses and be productive members of society out there spending our money. But that none of, that's, none of that is going to happen until we get this virus stabilized or contained. Okay, Everything I talk about with this normal bear market and all this stuff about um, slowly, you know, dollar cost averaging into the market, it, it does no good unless we get this virus stabilized. That is the equalizer. Okay, let's move on here. So that pretty much sums up my version of the four phases of a bear market. Now, during this market cycle, you may come across certain investments that you would like to buy and take advantage of in this down market, just like I've done, continue to do for my clients and myself about any sector you could think of that you want to want to take advantage of, whether it be energy, healthcare, utilities, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you think is a good buy. So how do you go about doing this in your retirement plan? There's really two main ways of accomplishing this. First, if you're over 59 and a half, most, not all, but most higher ed institutions will allow you to roll over your voluntary retirement account while still in service. And you can roll it over to an IRA outside your employer's retirement plan. Now, like I mentioned, not all employers will allow you to do this. So you need, it's important, you need to check with your retirement plan vendor to see if your plan will allow this. So if the plan does allow this, it's actually really simple. You'll want to establish a rollover IRA at a custodian of your choice personally, I like to use Charles Schwab for myself and my clients, but you can choose any company you're most comfortable with. Then contact the vendor you have your voluntary retirement plan with. Typically, that's going to be a vendor like Fidelity or TIAA. You call them up, you tell them you'd like to do an in-service rollover IRA, and they'll help you with it. They'll send you some forms or have you go online, but they'll help you to go about doing that. Like I said, it, it it's very simple, folks. I've done quite a few of these for my clients over the number of years. So once the money is transferred to your rollover IRA, you can go out and buy those particular stocks or ETFs or mutual funds that you are wanting to take advantage of during this time that you can't get access to in your employer's retirement plan. 
Now your monthly deferrals, you know, the money that you're deferring to your 403B and your 401A, that money will continue just as before. It'll go to the fidelities of the world and the, and the TIAAs in the same fashion that was taking place prior to, to your in-service rollover IRA. That is not disrupted. Now, the other way of accomplishing this is to establish a broker's link account with your retirement plan vendor. Now, again, not all institutions allow these broker's link accounts, but most institutions that I deal with do have this option. Actually, it's very rare to see an institution not have this option. So what is a broker's link option, you ask? Well, the easiest way to explain this is think about it as an investment portal. Your account still remains as a 403B or 401A, but now through this brokerage link window, you've opened the investment portal that allows you to go out and choose from thousands of investment options. I've done this with many, many clients utilizing TIAA and or Fidelity for their retirement plan vendors. And folks, if I can figure this out, you can as well. It just takes time to figure it out. It just takes you asking questions. Or, of course, you can call me and contact me, and I can walk you through it. It's a very, very simple process once you know how to do it. One note that I want to mention is that this can only be done with a voluntary account and not with a mandatory account. I can't tell you how many emails and phone calls I've received from people trying to accomplish this. And then I, the, the first question I ask is, do you have a voluntary account? And their answer is, I don't know. And we go into TIAs or Fidelity's website, we find out that they only have a mandatory account. A mandatory account employer is putting money into. You may be putting money into it as well, but the employer is putting money into it. That's the big uh, to do with that one. If that is the case, the brokerage link cannot be accomplished. Folks, I want to point out and let you know that each of these strategies, both an in-service rollover IRA and brokerage link option, is explained in detail in past podcasts that I've done for you. So make sure to check those out. I do know that you'll find some really, really good information in those podcasts. All right, folks, I'll leave you with this. The stock market, I'll tell you what, it's been pretty easy the last few years. It really has. In my opinion, things are going to get a little more difficult going forward, especially, you know, I'm doing this in early April. There's going to be a lot of bad economic news uh, coming out. It's going to be interesting listening to this podcast a year from now um, and just kind of ingesting and internalizing uh, where where we were at this point in time and a year from now where we're going to be. So from this point until that time, there's going to be a lot of bad economic news coming out. Please, I want everybody to feel free to get in touch with me if you'd like to explore an option of where my firm helps you out. Okay, I help out hundreds of higher ed employees across the country. I do believe it'll be very, very beneficial to have someone like myself help you out and help you navigate through this extreme volatile environment that we find ourselves in. So you can find my contact information on my on my podcast website, which is www.higheredretire.com. My phone number at my home office in Kansas City is 913-521-2381. Email address, that is greg at shepherdfinancial.com. Shepherd is S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Okay, so thanks for tuning in today, and I really, really do hope you got a few good pieces of information out of this podcast today. I want everybody to hang in there and be safe, and remember to always take control of your retirement plan today. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast. 
Just because this episode is over doesn't mean you can't continue your retirement journey. Please visit www.hireedretire.com to see how you can work with Greg or to simply ask him a question. Thanks again. S&A Financial Services is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.